How did your story start? On the day that you were born, what was it like? Were you born into peace or were you born into chaos? Were you born into a beautiful city or were you born into like a backwoods town? Were you born in affluence or was there barely enough chicken for everybody to get one piece? What was it like the day that you were born? How did your story start? Now, how your story started is not nearly as important as how your story will end. And how your story's being written today is far more important than how your story started. But here's the question. How did your story start? I don't know that that's a great question. But the right question today is, how will your story, how will it end? Now, we all know how the Christmas story started. In fact, even if you've not been to church in like five or six years, and this is like the first time in years, I bet you can piece together some of the Christmas story. You may not be able to get it in order, and you may not remember exactly what Isaiah seven fourteen said about there will be a virgin and God will be with us. You may not remember Genesis three fifteen, this great messianic prophecy already in the third chapter of Genesis. But I bet all of us in this room can remember how some of the Christmas story goes. There were angels, right? There were shepherds. There was Mary. There was Joseph. Um, there was a donkey. There were wise men somewhere in the story a little bit later. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. I bet all of us in this room could piece together some of the story. How did your story start? What was it like the day you were born? But the better question is, how will your story end? Now, the Christmas story ends quite dramatically. The Christmas story ends with a great big battle called the Battle of Armageddon. In fact, it's been billed as the mother of all battles. And you've heard of the Battle of Armageddon. In the Battle of Armageddon, all these armies line up against each other. There's all of God's armies. And what the story does as it ends is Jesus is taking a victory lap. Jesus lines up, dressed in white. His robe is dipped in blood. He's riding a white horse. All the armies of heaven are following him on white horses, dressed in white linen. And the opposing side, the opposing battle, are all the forces of evil. And they line up, and in the battle of Armageddon, the battle never takes place. Just like in creation, God speaks, let there be light, let there be, let there be, and there was. Jesus speaks, he commands, he demands, and the battle is over. He slays his enemies with the words of his mouth. How does the Christmas story start? We know how the Christmas story starts. Do you know how the Christmas story ends? Yes, this is going to be the weirdest Christmas Eve sermon you've ever heard. That's right. And the story ends with this amazing victory lap, and Jesus and his armies are all dressed in white. Here's our story in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And he says this, John gets this vision. 
I saw heaven standing open, which means I'm going to get to peer into heaven. I'm going to get to look into heaven. I'm going to get to see something that has never been seen before. I'm going to look into the very heavens itself. And there before me was a white horse. Now, nobody goes into battle with a white horse. You took a dark horse, a brown horse. You took a black horse. Why a white horse? Well, the king, after the battle was over, would bathe himself, put on white, and and get on a white horse and ride through his town. And the white horse was the declaration of victory. And what Jesus is saying is, before the battle even takes place, I've won. I've won. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head not one crown, many crowns. And he has a name written on himself that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Now look what happens next in this great battle. Everyone's riding white horses. Everyone's dressed in white. Everyone's dressed in white linen. Here are all the armies of heaven following him. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Look at verse 15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How a story starts is important, but how a story ends is absolutely critical. And so today, what did he win? What's the symbol of victory? Well, first of all, it's the victory over sin, and we know that part of the story, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and we know that he came to win victory over our sins. But I like to think about what Jesus does for us today. He won the right to be your counselor. He won the right to be your deliverer. He won the right to be your healer. He won the right to be your hope. He won the right to give you peace. He won the right to be a rewarder of those who follow him. And he promises to be your shield. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't have battles. Every one of in this room have battles. I call those situations. And we all have battles to place and battles to fight. Now, maybe your battle today during this season is loneliness Maybe you feel alone because you are alone. Or maybe your battle during this season is bondage and you're you're bound to something, quite frankly, very unhealthy. Or maybe your battle during this season is depression or discouragement. Or you're just confused. I don't know what to do. I've got this boss and I don't know what to do. I'm in this marriage, and I don't know what to do. I've got aging parents, and I don't know what to do. I've got a rebellious child, and I don't know what to do. Maybe your battle is just fear. Men, the greatest fear that men have is the fear of failure. And the greatest fear that women have is the fear of abandonment. It doesn't mean you won't have battles today. Everybody in the room has situations. 
I was coming out of uh, church about three, three months ago, and um, I was all by myself on a Saturday morning. Now, I love this place when it's full like this, but I also love it when it's empty. I love it when I'm the only one on the 41 half acre campus. I love that. So it's a Saturday morning. I'm all by myself, early Saturday, and I'm working for a couple hours. I stay a little bit longer. I don't know, it was about noon. I, I'm starting to leave the building, and there's a car on the parking lot. And the car's starting and stopping, starting and stopping. Looks like, you know, they're on drugs or something. I mean, the car just wasn't doing well and comes to a complete stop. I have permission to tell this story. And Nikki, the mother, gets out, and the 15-year-old daughter who just got her learner's permit is driving. And mama looks like she's at stroke level, and daughter has got this look on her face. If Jesus comes today, I'm good with that. And so I said, what's going on? And they said, well, you know, she can't drive, and she can't teach, and, you know, this is going on. And they've got themselves a situation, all right? And so I thought to myself, I'm going to take a risk here. And I said to the mother, Nikki, there's a chair up there by the carport. Go sit down. You're in the shade. She said, what are you going to do? I'm going to go teach your daughter how to drive. And she said, I don't think that's a good idea. And I thought, I I don't know if that's a good idea either. So I started confessing all my sins since kindergarten. (laughs) I said, Nikki, buckle up. We're going to get in the church parking lot. We're going to have a time of our life. And we get in the parking lot, and we just go round and round, stop, park. I taught three kids how to drive. I got this, you know. And we're having the time of our life. And I thought to myself, after it was all over and she can drive, I thought, if this preaching gig doesn't work out, I may apply to be a driver's ed teacher. I I don't know. (laughs) It might work. Everybody has situations. Notice that in the Christmas story. Elizabeth has got multiple situations. She's not pregnant. She can't get pregnant. 30-some years go by, and she's barren. And in that culture, they looked upon it as you were not favored of God. Now, we know there's medical problems today, but they didn't know that then. And she was the priest's wife. And so the priest and the priest's wife were viewed as not being favored. And then she's got another situation. Now think about this. How many women in the room have given birth? Raise your hands if you've given birth. All right, now I'm not going to ask you this next question, but how would you, anybody given birth in their 60s in this room? I mean, she's 60-something and pregnant for the first time. I got a lot of groans out of that. How many of you would like to be pregnant for the first time in your 60s? I got a no way down here on the front row, right? The wise men. They've got themselves a situation. King Herod is not being on the level. And King Herod is very dishonest. Joseph's got himself a situation. How does he tell everybody he's got a pregnant wife by the Holy Spirit? And Mary, before it came out, she could have been killed for her alleged sexual misconduct. Everybody in the Christmas story has a situation. I thought about this with Joseph. He takes this 90-mile trip. It's a three-day journey. His wife and him get there on the back of a donkey, and there is now no room. There's no place. There's no hospital. There's no hotel for them to have the baby. And see, all the women would always come and help, and now they're in Bethlehem. They're not up in Nazareth where all her family is, and there's not a single midwife. There's not a single woman to help her to give delivery. Now, Joseph's delivered a few cows. 
He's about to have to deliver God. And I think when that hit Joseph, he realized he had himself a situation. Now, my friends, I don't know what your situation is, but I know you've got one. And I know you'll have one tomorrow. And I know you'll do everything you possibly can to prevent situations. And that's good because sometimes we cause our own situations to happen. But if you can prevent it, that's great. But most of the time, we can't prevent what happens. And so what do we do? Well, here's what they did. Everybody in the Christmas story, they took their situation to the sanctuary. And when they went to the sanctuary, they had this amazing encounter with God. Now, don't miss this. Everybody in the Christmas story, they took their situation to the sanctuary. And in the sanctuary, they have this encounter with God. Now, what's a sanctuary? A sanctuary is just a place where you go and meet God. A sanctuary can be a large group like this on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night. A sanctuary can be your truck, your prayer time in your truck. Your sanctuary can be a walk on Clearwater Beach. Your sanctuary can be John Chestnut Park. Your sanctuary can be at home on your sofa reading the scriptures. A sanctuary is just a place where you go and you meet God. And the wise men, for over a year, they're outside taking that year-long journey to Bethlehem. Their sanctuary is outside with their heavenly Father. Joseph has a sanctuary when God comes to him and reveals himself to him in a dream. Mary has a sanctuary moment when the angel Gabriel comes to her and expresses himself to her. Everybody in this Christmas story had a situation. And everybody in the Christmas story took their situation to the sanctuary. That's your option. You can take your situation to yourself. You can take your situation... To Facebook. You can take your situation to other people, or you can take your situation to the sanctuary of God and meet God. I have had my best encounters with God in the middle of my situations. The best encounters with God. About 14 years ago, I got a call to come to this church. We'd been senior pastor for 16 years in Memphis, Tennessee. And Denise and I decided that we would have me come down by myself and she would stay there and keep things as calm for the kids and as normal as possible and sell the house in Memphis. I don't know that we would do the same thing again, but it was our decision 14 years ago. And so August the 21st, 2004, I drive down here by myself. And a very generous couple from church put me up on Clearwater Beach, which sounds great, but I was all alone. And I'd never been without Donata. I mean, maybe three or four days on a fishing trip on my end, or maybe once a week, once a year for a week, she'd go visit her parents. But we'd never been apart for all those years. And I'd never been without the kids. And I remember about four months into this, and it took six months to sell our house and six months to get them here. And there was one stretch where Danita and Erica, Ethan and Emily, I didn't see them for six long weeks. And about four months into this deal, I would would walk every night, Clearwater Beach. I'd walk two miles one way and two miles back. And I remember one night just stopping about 11 o'clock at night. I'm all by myself. 
and hot tears just poured down my cheeks. Hey, God, are you paying attention? I'm your boy. I actually like my wife. I adore my children. Are you dialed into my situation? And I took my situation and I went to the sanctuary on Clearwater Beach at 11 o'clock at night in front of nobody, hopefully, and poured out my heart. Now, he didn't sell my house the next day. It still took two more months for the house to sell. But every time there's a situation... God will give you clarity. God will give you direction. God will give you peace. God will remind you that he's large and in charge and you're not. And his IQ is much higher than yours. And I took that walk back to my condominium room that night. Okay. Okay. You're you're in charge. You're God. And I am not. I want to encourage you not to try to avoid situations. You're not going to be able to. You can't control what happens today. You can't control what happens tomorrow. Now, you can do some dumb things and you can control that, but most of the things happen in life you really have very little control over. So what if you take your situation and you go to the sanctuary of God and you encounter Him? Guess what? Every one of your situations are in the book. You don't have a problem that's not in the book. Every situation that you will ever experience is written extensively in those 66 books, all those amazing chapters. And so what if you do take take it to the sanctuary? And what if you do have that amazing encounter with God? Well, here's what he promises you. He promises you about 10 different things I'm going to mention on the screen right now. Just look at these. If you have an encounter with God, this is what he says he will do. If I have an encounter with God with my situation, I won't feel alone because he promises to never leave me. If I have an encounter with God, I won't feel condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I have encounters with God, I won't leave confused. Because God gives me knowledge through His Spirit who lives in me. If I have encounters with God, I won't accept defeat. Because 2 Corinthians says, God always leads me to victory. If I have an encounter with God, I won't feel like a failure. Because I am more than a conqueror, Romans 8 says, through Jesus Christ. If I have an encounter with God, why should I lack faith? God has given me a measure of faith. If I have encounters with God, why should I fear? 2 Timothy says, God has given me a spirit of power, love. God is going to give me a sound mind. Here's one of my prayers. Lord, give me a sounder mind today than I had yesterday. If I have an encounter with God, why should I feel helpless? If God is for me, Romans 8 says, who can be against me? If I have an encounter with God, why should I let the pressures of this world bother me? Jesus has overcome the world. And if I have an encounter with God, why should I ever let Satan control me? 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You're going to have situations. I'm encouraging you to take your situations to the sanctuary. 
And the sanctuary is just a place where you go and you meet God. And you can have the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. You can have the sanctuary on a Sunday afternoon. You can have the sanctuary Monday in your truck as you drive to work. You can have the sanctuary wherever you go and connect with your Heavenly Father in a most dynamic and unique way. We're starting the year off with a bang. We're going to do a 21-day fast as we start the year. January 1st, do not miss January 1st Sunday morning. Because on January 2nd, we start a 21-day fast. We've got 21 little one-minute videos every morning for you to watch. I've already shot 14 of these. And every day, we're going to have breakthroughs, 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 breakthroughs. Every day, we're going to go to the sanctuary, go to the sanctuary, go to the sanctuary. So my my encouragement to you, I, I don't really think it's that important how your story started. Okay? I think it's critical how your story ends. And this story ends, it's a white Christmas. No, it's not about snow. But the story ends with Jesus with a victory lap on a white horse. And all the armies of heaven are riding white horses. And they're dressed in white. Why? Because Jesus Christ rules and he reigns.